there is there are some who have raised an objection that you know sometimes what happens is that if you made a mistake yesterday two small mistakes so what you do is next day there's some huffaz uh, at the beginning they read just those verses one verse from uh, you know one quarter and then another, and then they start today's like what are you doing they they wonder like why are you bringing these little verses and then you're reading today's juz or something and they think that that's bid'ah or something however and I'm going to mention this because a lot of people don't know about this. According to Majmu'ul um, Fatawa, there's a whole discussion on this there. He says that قَدْ كَانُوا بِمَكَّةَ يُوَكِّلُونَ رَجُلًا يَكْتُبُ مَا تَرَكَ الْإِمَامُ مِنَ الْحُرُوفِ وَغَيْرِهَا فَإِذَا كَانَ لَيْلَةَ الْخَطْمَةَ أَعَادَهُ That in Mecca, Meaning somebody should correct what they've made as a mistake, like a little verse and the mistake in there. Because in Makkah, they had actually appointed a guy to sit on the side and, or not necessarily sit, but after every, he's a hafid. If he couldn't take the mistake, the mistake wasn't taken out, he would actually write down the mistakes. And then on the night of the 27, 29, whenever they're finishing the Quran, they would actually go through all of them first. You don't want to do that, that would be a lot to go through, most likely, right? And then you only make one mistake. So try to do it by the next day or the next rakats. So that's there. And also, um, from the Hanbalis, it says that, قَالَ الْأَصْحَابِ كَأَبِي مُحَمَّدِ Abu Muhammad, he says, وَإِنَّمَا اسْتَحَبَّ ذَلِكَ لِتَتِمَّ الْخَتْمَةِ وَيَكْمُلُ الثَّوَابِ This is mustahab to repeat and finish off those small verses, just so the khatm, meaning the completion of the Qur'an, can be finished and the reward be fully received. فَقَدْ جَعَلَ أَهْلُ مَكَّةَ وَأَحْمَدَ وَأَصْحَابُهُ إِعَادَةَ الْمَنْسِيِّ مِنَ الْآيَاتِ وَحْدَهُ يُكْمِنُ الْخَطْمَ وَالثَّوَابَ وَإِنْ كَانَ قَدْ أَخَلَّ بِالتَّرْتِيبِ هُنَا That they, uh, the people of Mecca, Imam Ahmed and his uh, colleagues and his students, they said that you should repeat the forgotten parts separately to complete the Qur'an and the Khatam, even though it does spoil and disrupt the, the arrangement. Right? Because next day you're reading something else and you're just taking a verse from the beginning of yesterday's Jews, for example. It does do that a bit, but that's fine. And he says that this is what, we've, this is what has been transmitted from Ali radiallahu anhu. أَنَّهُ نَسِيَ min surah. He once forgot a, a, a verse, missed a verse from one surah. ثُمَّ فِي أَثْنَاءِ الْقِرَاءَةِ In the middle of his qira'ah, in the middle of his reading, he repeated it. وَعَادَ إِلَى مَوْضِعِهِ And then he went back to repeating what, uh, to reading where he was originally. Well, um, he says, mostly people won't know because they're not hafiz, they don't know what's going on. Right? But he said, you should, you should do that. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Wa Salatu Wa Salamu Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa Ala Alihi Wa Sahbihi Wa Baraka Wa Salama Tasliman Kathiran Ila Yomidin Amma Ba'd. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man Qama Ramadana Imanan Wahti Saban, Wufira Lahu Ma Taqadama Min Dhambi. Which basically means that whoever stands in the, during the nights of Ramadan with Iman, with faith, otherwise why else would you stand? With faith and Ihtisab, which basically means with anticipation for something, whatever you want. Anticipation for reward, for closeness, for forgiveness, for blessing, for Barakah. Then your previous sins are forgiven. So, in the nights of Ramadan, while we fast during the days, in the nights, the very special thing is to stand in prayer. That's where Taraweeh comes in. 
So there's a history of Taraweeh that the Prophet ﷺ, it's reported that he did it for one or two days. And then they, had, uh, he, they found out the Prophet ﷺ was reading at night, performing prayer at night. And they said, can we pray with you? So they were waiting for him and he didn't come out until um, Suhoor time, closer to Fajr time. And he said, the reason uh, is that I didn't want this to be obligated upon you. If Taraweeh had become an obligation like a fard, then that would have been uh, a lot more complicated. So the Prophet ﷺ definitely did Taraweeh, you know, and that's been reported. However, exactly how he did it, how many rakats he done, there's different uh, narrations mentioned there. It was during Umar radiallahu's time when everything had kind of calmed down. Abu Bakr radiallahu's time was full of turmoil after the Prophet ﷺ passed away. Uh, there were different tribes, different people in different areas who came up and uh, some denied Islam fully. They, they reneged on Islam. They became disbelievers. Some said, we're going to be Muslim, but we're not going to give zakat, for example. Abu Bakr, whose two years and four or five months were spent just trying to quell all the rebellions and bring back the stability. Then it was in the Umar time where he managed to reconcile and uh, he, he managed to sort a lot of things out. So he would have a committee and he would uh, essentially uh, see all of the different narrations because one Sahabi said one thing, another Sahabi had remembered another thing from the Prophet ﷺ. So finally, what he, he went into the masjid one day and he saw different people, uh, different groups of people doing Taraweeh prayer, different people doing Taraweeh prayer. He said, I need to get everybody onto one platform. So then he got one of the Sahaba to lead and then he made everybody uh, onto the 20 rakats. A few days later or something, when he came back and he looked at it and everybody was calmly praying together, the, the 20 rakats under one imam, he said, this is, uh, this is what he was looking for, essentially. So since then, pretty much that's what we had throughout the world, including in the haram until a few days ago when they switched it to 10 rakats, which is a whole new idea of 10 rakats. I'm glad it wasn't eight. It was 10 rakats, and they're still doing 10 rakats apparently. I don't know how long they're going to do that for. But that essentially, we've had taraweeh since then. Last year, or actually probably, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, two years ago, in 2020, we probably had the most taraweeh jamaats, uh, congregations ever to be held in our history. At 2020 was probably and 2021, there were probably never as many Taraweeh Jama'ah and congregations held in the world at any time in our history. Why? Because the Muslim population has spread and has expanded, uh, you know, about nearly 2 billion or something. Never had that many Muslims because the whole world's population was 2 billion until a few centuries ago. So 2 billion nearly Muslims doing Taraweeh prayers at home because they weren't done in the masjids or there weren't uh, so many and everybody couldn't pray in the masjids. So that, that's why we had so much taraweeh, mashallah. That's when people got an opportunity to do taraweeh at home probably for the first time. You know, lots of women did taraweeh. I don't think there's ever been so many people ever done taraweeh as two, three years ago. Anyway, things are getting back to normal now. And, uh, but mashallah, increasingly, alhamdulillah, especially in our communities, we have lots of huffaz. And... What you have to understand, the brothers who are sitting in front of me and who are, who are listening online, is that you, ha you are becoming an imam. I mean, I know becoming an imam sounds like this really big deal. Like, when am I going to become an imam? But when you do taraweeh, you are an imam. Right? You are leading prayers. 
and you're usually leading prayers of a lot of people, close to Jumu'ah. Your local imam probably doesn't lead as many people in normal prayers because you get more people for, uh, for Taraweeh and Jumu'ah. So that's a massive honor, isn't it? That you're leading all of these Muslims of your area, people who are older than you, right? Uh, people uh, in, in different positions. And mashallah, you are leading all of them in prayer. That's why you're an imam. Imam means leader. Now, in anything, if you're a leader, it's an honor usually, right? Leadership is seen as an honor by a lot of people, but we have to really look at it as a responsibility as well. Because in the honor of being a leader, you don't become a leader just to show off, right? That's not really part of it. It's to lead, which means that you're taking everybody somewhere. And what you're doing in Taraweeh is you're petitioning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you get to read the Qur'an and offer it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody else is listening. Because if I go with a group of people to petition somewhere, we're not all going to speak at once, are we? It's not a protest, is it? Where everybody shouts, right? It's a petition. It's a question. It's a plea. So you're the imam, mashallah. You're putting the plea to Allah on behalf of your whole congregation and they are trusting you to do that. What I'm trying to tell you is that it's not just an honor, but it's a massive responsibility because within an honor, there's a responsibility. And what is that responsibility? If I'm the one that they've chosen to lead people and I've got some fundamental issues going on, right, that I could have done better at, but I'm not, and then that's found out, or even if it's not found out, there's going to be weakness in my petition. I'm not the best leader in that sense. Now, I don't want you all to... Uh, get a bit paranoid about that and say we're not doing taraweeh this year because we don't think we're the best people to do that right it's an honor if you have the quran mashallah you've got the qualification at least the major qualification of that and then the other things are easy it's more difficult to memorize the quran than all the other stuff i'm probably going to tell you to do because you can easily do that so it's an absolutely great honor we thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it because it's only a fraction of the world fraction of the muslims that have the Quran by heart and that can lead the prayers. Can you believe it? And you know what an honor it is? In the early days of Islam, there was a tribe, they were not Muslim yet, but they were on the road to where the Prophet was. So when people used to pass by, they were like a service village, service station village. So people would come by, they would go and meet the Prophet come back, stop there. And there was a little seven, eight year old uh, child Ibn Salama I can't remember the exact name and he used to uh, all those that were coming back he used to ask them what they heard from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and whatever they remember the Quran took about 23 years to be revealed so whatever Quran that um, somebody came now and said oh I heard this verse from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he would memorize it when the next lot of people would come and bring a new verse, he would memorize it. His tribe finally became Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ said that the most learned of you in the Qur'an, the one who knows the most Qur'an, must lead your prayer. And there was nobody who knew more Qur'an than him. And he was only seven, eight or nine years old, very young. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So he got to lead the prayer. He's a little kid, literally. He's not even bawling. You can't do that today. I'll explain later. But... He got to lead the prayer and he was very, they were a poor family, so he only had a garment and the women used to pray behind as well. 
and they started complaining. They said that, or they, they made, gave him some advice. They said that you need to cover your imam properly. Because when he goes into ruku or sujood, then some part of his body becomes uncovered because he's got a, only one garment that he owns. He's not purposely bought these small garments where you show everything and you purposely put your trousers down to show some part of your uh, back. It wasn't one of those things. It wasn't a style thing. It was just what he needed. Right? He didn't have any more than that. So they did a fundraiser for him. And uh, they bought new garments for him. And he said, wow, that was one of the happiest days that I got new garments. Barakah of the Qur'an. Right? I don't want you doing anything like that. Right? Um, so that people do a fundraiser for us. Um, we need to cover ourselves up properly. We need to look the part of an imam. I know we may only be 15, 16 when you're doing your first tarawih, right? But we need to look because there's a responsibility. And the other thing is that, as you know, with our community, we have people who like to criticize. So one is you could say, well, I don't care about these people. But then we do have response. Whenever you're in a position, you need to mitigate, which means you need to minimize problems. Why would you want to do something and go up there with, with for example, big logoed, uh, tops or something like that for example right and then just have people saying you this that and the other you don't want that hassle Tarawih is already massively stressful you know just getting it right in front of everybody with all those people behind you you don't want any additional stress so you want to try to be the optimal part because you are presenting yourself in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we're not doing it to show you might be a good reciter and you just can't wait to uh, mashallah just cause those echoes to, re echoes to reverberate around the masjid and people just to start you know zooming around and you know with your recitation but that's not the purpose of it right the purpose of it is think of it this way if I'm standing here to lead the prayer there's people behind me right and in front of me I'm praying to Allah Allah is not physically you know we don't believe Allah is physically in any location but the idea is that we're praying towards the Qibla so we are praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now, if I'm praying, I'm supposed to be praying for Allah. I am leading people. I am concerned about them. But if I'm fully focused on them that I need to read in this way that they just get excited, they just get so excited and, you know, they start uh, getting intoxicated in prayer with my recitation, then that's, I'm losing the focus. Then I'm not going to get reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My petition to Allah, my offering to Allah, my devotion to Allah, I'm not the right leader. My focus is my followers. I need to focus on Allah first. The beautiful thing is that if you just focus on Allah, and that just means keep your concentration on Allah. Keep your concentration of Allah. If you're praying for Allah, it doesn't mean you're going to read badly, are you? you? You read good for Allah, so you can still read well. But when you're reading for Allah, there's a certain emotion that's involved in that. And that way, people are going to be pleased anyway. But at least you've gotten Allah. You've pleased Allah and you've put, your, you've put everybody's case forward. You've given the devotion. You've led people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's important. If you keep Allah in mind, people are going to enjoy it anyway. And if you only are focused on people's enjoyment or people's excitement and happiness, then you literally don't have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your mind. So it's not worth it. The, the one way to Allah gives you both. Whereas if you focus on people, you only get one thing. Right, so, mashallah, we are standing in, in, in the nights of Taraweeh, 20 rakats, mashallah, and we are leading the prayer. What an honor that is. You know, it's, it's, it's an honor to just do it yourself. 
But then to have to lead the prayer, what a bigger honor because, you know what? You get the reward for everybody who prays behind you. You get the reward for everybody who prays behind you because you're leading them in prayer. And in Islam, whatever shows away, whoever leads away, they get the reward of everybody that is being led. So you're getting much more reward than reading alone. Have you ever thought about that? That's something very, very important. And the bigger the masjid, the probably the greater your reward. Or the tougher the masjid, the greater your reward. Right? Because, you know, uh, our rewards are increased by the difficulty, not purposeful difficulty. You don't create difficulties, but if there is a difficulty, like let's just say there's a place that there's no imam. Uh, there's no, they don't have anybody for taraweeh and it'll, it'll be a bit of a hassle for you to go there. That would be superior, probably more rewarding than to just do it locally where it's so much more comfortable, whereas they can find other people. You'd rather give that place to somebody else and you go somewhere else. Right? So all of these things matter. So now this is the way we're going to do this. We only have a short amount of time. I've broken this down into several segments. Then I'm going to open it up for questions because uh, I don't think I can incorporate everything. Right, in this presentation. So if there's still questions left, please uh, write them down now and then feel free to ask them at the end, both for the online brothers and sisters and for you guys who are here. So, uh, firstly, we're going to go through some practical advices, just in general practical advices relating to some of the things that I've been talking about already and about memorizing and preparing and so on. Then, uh, I've got about 21 points in there. Then we're going to talk about some of the Masail, the fiqh related stuff, that which could mess up our taraweeh and how to deal with that. So we've got uh, several points, I've got about eight points in that, major points. Then we're going to zoom in a bit more to speak about all of the issues related to reciting. So mistakes and complications and other questions that relate to qira'ah, the actual recitation aspect of it, because we are reading the Quran and reciting of it, uh, that, that's very important for us to focus on that. The, then the next section is about giving corrections and taking corrections. Because that's an inevitable part of taraweeh. You could make a mistake, get confused, you forget what next. How do you take a correction? When you're waiting for a correction, should you take correction? Should you wait for connections? What should you do? And how should people correct? What's the practical aspects related to that? I've got about nine, nine points on that. And then... Uh, confusions and mistakes related to uh, mistakes in raka'ah like if you do three instead of two or you end up in one and uh, other aspects related to that I've got about 14 points on that and then the witr is a major part of the tarawi so there's about four or five points on witr and then uh, essentially the, the last segment is about completing the tarawi and uh, ending Ramadan essentially with Taraweeh and some of the Masail related to that. Then, uh, if we've got time, then there's an appendix, uh, but that's not necessary. That's only if you've got time and then question and answers, inshallah. So, listen carefully. You should have brought uh, paper uh, so that you can take notes of the things that are uh, relevant to you. Of course, this will put this up and then you can do it again, but it's always best to take notes the first time round because it's just easier. So if you uh, have something you can take notes on, that would be great, especially those that you don't know about and uh, you, know, you might forget. So that's very, very important. So when it comes to the online, I'll uh, again take your questions with, uh, with everybody else's at the end, inshallah. So having said that, let us uh, begin 
with the practical advices. So these are just general practical advices. There may be some overlap here and there. With that said, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance. We ask Allah for acceptance. And we begin. So the practical advices, this includes some masail as well. Because we're responsible, one of the main things which we don't really need to be speaking about, but it's a good reminder, is that purity is very, very important. Because it's a salat, it's a prayer, and our salat can't be accepted without purity, without proper wudu. But wudu is the basic aspect of it. We can't have impurity on our body or our clothing as well. So that means that we do have to learn some of the masail and rulings of purity. That means istibra and istinja. I know the wording sounds a bit complicated, but essentially, when a person goes to relieve themselves, they need to make sure that they don't just go in and run out again. Because there's a procedure. And uh, I don't want to have to start teaching this whole you know, collection of masail here on that, but simply put, you, you can't really leave until you're 100% sure that you're dominantly sure that there's no more drops left. There's nothing else going to come out afterwards. Because if it does, it's going to soil your clothing. And that could have a problem on your prayer. So, number one, you need to relieve yourself and then stay there. And, to, and, and there's multiple ways to make sure that you can relieve yourself. Uh, for some people, they put a tissue there and then they, uh, for urine, for example, to make sure all the last drops have come out. Uh, to stand up, sit down a few times, to uh, just move around a bit. And there's multiple ways that uh, you could do that until you're sure. Like, so don't become OCD about this and sit there for an hour because it doesn't take an hour, right? But one or two minutes is usually the case. So you can't really literally go in and do your thing and walk out straight away. There is a procedure and that's what you call istibra, which means to seek to make sure that no more... Uh, no more will come out. Once you're sure, then you do istinja, which means you clean up. That's usually done with water, though if it hasn't spread much at all, then you can use a tissue, but otherwise it's always best to use water as well. So that's in brief. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but that's in brief. If you have any doubts about that, you should consult uh, uh, your ulama or read Ta'limul Haq. I'm going to give you a suggestion of two books if you want to read about this. Ta'limul Haq is one of them. Many of you should have that. The other book otherwise for you know, is ascent to felicity, right? This has all of the masail of prayer and of purity. So you need to make sure that you're quite clean because you could be doing a wonderful taraweeh prayer, but you could be essentially impure. Now, if you do have any impurity on your clothing, right? Uh, usually, what they, uh, usually what the understanding is that if you've got more impurity than the concave of your palm. So if I was to put my palm out like this, under a tap, and then move it away, how much water would remain in my palm? It'd probably be about four centimeters diameter. So that's a lot to be honest, but where you, are, where you could have removed it and you didn't, your salat will become undesirable, which means you're messing up everybody's prayer, though the prayer would be valid. But if it goes over this amount, then your prayer would be invalid. So you could do 20 rakats beautifully, but your prayer would be invalid if you got more than that impurity. Less than that, it'd still be makruh. It'd still be undesirable. You want to be as clean as possible. Right? You want to be clean. That's it. Because cleanliness is half of faith. And then, purity of intention. Why am I doing this? I've already discussed a bit of that for the sake of Allah. 
And I'm so thankful that Allah has chosen me. If you remember that, then it's easier not to show off. Allah is the one who gave me this. He allowed me to complete. Allah reward my parents for pushing me, if that's the case. Allah be thanked for and be praised for the fact that I can do this and I can do this well enough and I was chosen right out of thousands of people children like me or young people like me to, to lead the prayer and when you keep Allah in mind it just makes life so much easier that's purative intention and then focus on Allah rather than on the, on the people so uh, then the other thing is uh, removing unwanted hair that needs to be removed Right from the regions of the body that need to be cleansed. Likewise, keeping the nails clipped and being well groomed in general because you're leading the prayer. You don't want people to uh, criticize for no reason and feel bad because they say the Imam must be such that he shouldn't make people feel like, who am I praying behind? You know, doing some crazy things or weird things that people, because at the end of the day, you must represent the best of people. Right? Okay, number two was essentially the purity of clothing and how to use the toilet and how to clean oneself. That's all done. Number three is you have to learn the relevant rulings of purity, of namaz and prayer, and of imamat. And um, that would be multiple things you'd have to learn, but that's why you're being here and we're, we're being here together. That's exactly what we're doing. So I, we've tried to compile together all of the relevant rulings. So inshallah in these next hours uh, we, we should get that all done right? However, try to get these books And read through them for yourself Because when you hear it twice or thrice You'll pick up on what's more relevant to you Number four We're going to discuss a number of things The next points are essentially about How to overcome nervousness How to get over the fear of mistakes These are very relevant They can mess up your whole day you know, because the whole day you're worried about what's going to happen in the night. And then it happens and then you're worried about what happened. The, the, the confident people don't do that. So how do you get over nervousness? Now, I, I can't tell you about everything, right? I'm sure you have your own experiences or of how you overcame your nervousness. Or it might be your first year. So I'm willing to hear from you if you've got a technique on that. So if you've got some special pills or special herbs that can get rid of nervousness. I'm sure there is a number of... Things like L-theanine and ashwagandha and uh, the, these different herbs that you could take to just calm you down and just focus. They, they could help. Red Bull is probably a bad idea. Okay? And uh, anything like that. Lucozade sports. Uh, th this is all artificial sugar. Right? So you don't want to do that because I see somebody's got a Lucozade sport already. MashaAllah. Uh, with him. Uh, you can drink it now. It's okay. Right? But I'm saying there's better stuff out there. Right? And Prime is. I don't, I don't know about Prime. Right, that everybody's talking about nowadays. One of the first things is that you either know your stuff or you don't. If you know your stuff, you could still be nervous because you're an introverted individual and you're shy of being in front of everybody's eyes and your dad is behind you, your brother, your uncle, your grandfather and all of these other uncles who are there just to jump on you and if you do wrong and they've already told you, subhanAllah, Allah make it easy, right? So there could be nervousness even if you know your stuff. And if you don't know yourself, then that's even worse because the whole day you're trying to know. So the main thing is try to know. And I would say, I know it's a bit late now, but try to start at least one or two months in advance. It just makes life so much easier 
that you don't have to then be worried about it on that day only, but try to learn it in advance so that you're prepared. And in that regard, don't just learn your four worth of reading, quarter juice or whatever it is. That's just not the right approach because then you'll only know patches of the Quran. For a lot of people, they only focus heavily on the Quran in Ramadan. And if you're just learning a quarter, you'll know a quarter from each juz better than everything else. And the other side, you might not even know. You can't even take a mistake out. Now, if, you're really, if your Quran is really not there, then that's better than nothing. That's one way of starting. So this year, take quarter. The next year, take the next quarter. The third year, take the next one. Like, that could be one way of refreshing your Quran if it's really been allowed to deteriorate, your memorizing being allowed to deteriorate. But otherwise, if you know your Quran generally well, don't just learn your portion. It's so easy to do that, but don't ever succumb to that. For, for a decade, we've been doing usually two, uh, two juice a day, and we finish in 15 days. And it's so easy to think, I'm only going to learn one juice. But no, I insist on reading both juice equally. I'm going to read one juice, my son is going to read the other juice. And sometimes we spring it on him. That he's going to, which one of the two. So he needs to know both Jews. He doesn't always know which Jews that he's going to read. I just tell him literally before that, you're going to read this one. And I have to read the other one. We have to know both Jews together. If you're doing only one Jews a day, you need to know everybody's Jews. Meaning you need to know the whole Jews. Otherwise, it's just going to be selective. All right? So read that whole Jews to somebody in the daytime. So have a fixed time. And preferably, it should be somebody who's already half it. Or somebody who knows their stuff. Because if you read to a non hafiz they won't pick up the subtle mistakes you may have. After you, uh, if you've memorized very well with a very particular teacher, you shouldn't have small mistakes. But not everybody does. And sometimes for some people, it'll take two, three, four years to get rid of very, very small, fine mistakes. It just takes that time because you're just used to reading something wrong and it's not being caught. So... Rather than being caught in Tarawih, always read to somebody. I, after all of these years, I insist somebody listen to mine before I, go, before I do Tarawih. It just feels so much better that you've read it to someone. It's number one. Number two, in the night time, in Tahajjud, right, preferably, or if not, then in Awabin, after Maghrib on that same day, read it, to you, read it in two or four akats, either to yourself, if you can find a partner to do tahajjud together with, and it's allowed for just two people to do tahajjud, that's, there's no problem in that. It's just when you do it in a congregation, the Hanafis say that's makruh. But for two people to do tahajjud, so if you've got your brother or somebody else, and you do tahajjud of your tarawih section, then you'll be already confident for tarawih the next day. That really works very well. well. The nights were very short, but then when they started becoming longer, that's what we used to do. I used to read my portion, and my son used to read his portion, uh, the opposite portion Then in Tarawih we would switch And do the other portion That way we read both Right So try to do that If you can But read to somebody If you can't do it then Then at least find somebody To read it to So preferably Find somebody to read it to And read it to yourself Standing in prayer Because you know When you read it to somebody Sitting down That's very different From standing up And reading it It's a whole different format So what happens is that If you're not used to the format Of standing up And repeating it and you've read it to somebody sitting down, which is a whole different format, you get confused when you stand up in front of everybody and read it. If you can't find somebody to read it to, just read it to yourself, but loudly. 
You know when you're reading it in your own salat, in tahajjud, read it loudly, because that's how you're going to do it in taraweeh. You could do it silently, but there's a different format in reading silently and loudly. So in tahajjud, in your own private bedroom, you just do it loudly. Right? In whatever style you want. You know, pour your heart out. That way you've already heard yourself, so you're not embarrassed of your own voice. The next day, in taraweeh, just think nobody's there, I'm doing it in my bedroom, and just do it. Right? So, read it to someone, and read it in your own prayer, preferably loudly. If somebody can listen to it, praying with you, great. If you can't find anybody, and your mom's willing to listen to you, she can sit and just listen like that, and then uh, mark the mistakes and tell you about them afterwards. Right? But do read to somebody else as well. Once you've done that, you won't feel nervous as much, inshallah. That was the next few points, okay? Then, how much should you read? My, one of my teachers used to say, and I follow the advice until today, told me like 30 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, that make sure that in Ramadan, you read every one of your juz at least 15 times. So the juz that's going to be read on that night, somehow you read it 15 times. Benefit of that is if you can read every juz at least 15 times over your 30 days, you probably will not forget it for the rest of the year. Right? How do you do it 15 times? Well, it's quite simple. After you come back from Taraweeh, read it twice. That's two, right? Then at Sehri time, read it twice. Before, after Sehri, don't go to sleep until you can. Right? Now, if you're going to school and all of that kind of stuff, okay, you're not going to be able to do it 15 times maybe. That might be a bit more struggle. Then after that, you wake up in the morning and you do it at least, uh, I think, four times. How many is that? That's eight times. When you're going and coming from Dhuhr, you do it two times. That includes on your way to Dhuhr, in your Sunnah prayers and your Nafal prayers after Dhuhr, you just, you just do your Quran. Right? Don't read anything else. Just do that day's juz. And you already know it so many times, you're just going to be repeating it. It's two more times. How many times? That's ten. You got ten done, right? Then Asr time, again. Now you can adjust this however you want. I'm just telling you how easy it is. That's two more times. And then after Maghrib, you can do it two more times. And then Taraweeh is one more time. That's fifteen. Now if you can't do fifteen, at least do ten times. You can't do less than ten. Your goal should be at least ten, but preferably fifteen. Now if you are doing two Jews a day, then of course you'll have to do half of each. And you'll do uh, 10 to 15 of both just all together and then you'll have to then carry on afterwards. But minimum, read your juice at least 10 times. Minimum. Throughout the day, you mark your own times that you want to do it, okay? And then stick to that. So what happens sometimes if I've missed one, or I've woken up late or I've gone to sleep or whatever, I'll have to just carry on and catch up. Sometimes it does, it does happen that you've missed it. And you've only done it two times less then you fill that up at the end. So that, what that will count as is that many Qur'ans at the end as well. So if you've done your, if you've done every just 10 times each day, you've done 10 Qur'an khatams in the whole month. But you've just done them 10 by 10. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's another thing that you can keep in mind. The other thing that you can do is if you're commuting, then you can easily be reading, right? If you have to commute to school or work or whatever, you can be reading. And where you can't read, then listen. But I think if you're a Hafiz, you should just be reading, to be honest. The other thing is that spend some time where you can go over at least the summary of what that juz means.
the contents of that juice in terms of its tafsir. It might be difficult to read a full juice tafsir, right? Because that could take a few hours. But try to get a summary. And there are many summaries out there. If you do search for summary of Tarawih, you'll see it. If you want, we, a few years ago we did, uh, we did a coverage of the tafsir, one hour for each juz. So that'll be an hour of your time. The benefit of that is that you have some idea of what you're reading. You'll make some connections. Like the story of Adam when you, see, when you read, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا You'll have some understanding. It'll just be totally different to just reading without understanding anything. Because most of our hufas don't understand what they read because they don't know Arabic yet. Right? So that is one way of getting a better connection with the Qur'an. So you're getting a general idea of what you're reading, what each sort of stands for. It'll make a big difference in your life, inshaAllah. Now, for, you have to remember, when you then stand for the prayer, you make some istighfar and you ask Allah for assistance and you ask Allah for, uh, for focus and for, for, for help. If you make a mistake, get over the fact that it's a big deal. Of course, if you're making tons of mistakes, then you're, uh, you're going to take longer and it just doesn't, you know. But making a mistake is okay. I know it's a good thing to, uh, to have an ambition, to have no mistakes. I understand that. But if you do end up making mistakes, then don't be bothered about it. Once you can free yourself of the bother that I made a mistake, what are people going to say? Then it won't affect the next part of your reading. Otherwise, you're like, I made a mistake. Oh no, it's all messed up now, forget it. So you're going to make a multiple more mistakes. I remember with me, that's what I used to always like. I don't need to, you know, I want to make sure I don't make any mistakes. And then I realized that, you know, I wish my Quran was better, uh, but it's not. So why am I overly stressing about it? I make mistakes. I'm a human being, I make mistakes. Okay, I don't want to make 10 mistakes, but I might make three mistakes. And that's okay. Let me carry on. I don't want to spoil the next part because I made a mistake in the first part. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't let your mistakes be debilitating for you. If you can see a pattern of the mistakes you make, try to correct that in the future. Like try to recognize what mistakes you make. Why do you make mistakes? Is it concentration? Is it just because you're trying to remember what's next rather than memorize what's next? A lot of people make mistakes because what they do is in their juz, they don't know the whole thing like Surah Al-Fatiha streamed, where it's automatically they know what's next, especially Mudashabihat. What they've tried to do is try to remember the mutashabihat. They try to remember it like, oh, it's going to be this one here. Problem with remembering is sometimes when you get stressed, you forget what's next. So stop remembering it, memorize it. What do you mean by memorizing it? You literally take the previous verse and that one, you read them together 50 times. So it's automatically what's next. You do the same thing for the next mutashabihat when it comes as well. So for that day, you just know that anyway. You'll know that when you come here, you have to turn right and not left. Otherwise, you'll forget. Because when you're in stress, you forget what's next. And I used to have this issue that I used to try to just remember. How many times in your life are you going to remember what's next? Each time you want to read it, you're going to have to remember it. And go and refresh it. No, just memorize it. Then it becomes automatic. And mashallah, there's some hufaz, you know, mashallah, they've done it so well that they, it's all memorized, like Fatiha for them. Right, it's just Fatiha for them. They just read, mashallah. If Allah has given you that, that's very good. Don't worry about what people are going to say. Just expect people are going to say something. So then you're not worried when they say it. Unless they're genuinely telling you something, then take it on board. Yeah. So if you do make a mistake, stay calm and collected. 
focus on what's next focus on getting it right and what's next and moving on don't become agitated don't lose your momentum don't use your rhythm your speed or style because once you change your style if you're used to reading in a certain rhythm and style and you change that you make mistakes unless you're very versatile and you can read in 10 different styles then you can choose whichever one you want but a lot of people they know it in one style only right and some people are so fixed that they know exactly where to stop and if they stop any other place they'll get confused. Right? You don't want to be like that, obviously. But you, know, you, do, you, t- you take care of it however you want to. You'll have some good days and you may have some bad days. That's just part of life. Right? Until you get so experienced that it all goes without a, a problem, inshallah. The Qur'an should move the hearts of the believer. That's why it's beneficial for you to read the tafsir. So you'll put more heart into it. And it's supposed to increase us in iman. So in Surah Al-Anfal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The believers are those that when Allah is mentioned, their hearts become fearful. And when His verses are recited to them, it increases them in faith. We've got that, we've got that responsibility of moving people. We need to move ourselves first. May Allah make it easy. If you get totally blank and people behind you are confusing you more, just go into Ruku. Just go into Ruku. As long as you've read at least three short verses or one long verse, just go into Ruku. Your Raka'at is done. Then you can, I mean, if it's not the next Raka'at, you can, you know, or I'm sure you'll recollect your understanding. Uh, but don't, don't go into your Ruku and then start reading what's next right? because you're not supposed to be reading in ruku yes while you're doing ruku etc if it's just in your mind that's different as a secondary thought but you can't in ruku or sujood be going over your door right over what you're supposed to <laughs> so like you can't be in there and like uh, let me read the first five verses just so I know I mean that's that becomes a habit you don't have to do that some, uh, some tarawih, uh, you know, sometimes you get the habit that after every two rakats you have to pick up the Quran, open the page and check what's next. But you don't have to do that. It's not that bad, is it? It just becomes a habit. So if you don't look at it, then you feel that you don't know. And make it a habit that you don't have to look. Only, you only have to look if you genuinely read something and it was nobody got it right and you're still confused and you check for what you're in about don't have to look for what's next. Otherwise, it'll become a habit. When it becomes a habit and you're not able to do it, you, you'll be confused. Alright? So don't do that. Try that. You don't have to open the Quran during Taraweeh. It's all done before. If you need some water or something, don't hesitate to drink water. Don't drink a drink. I did remember once I was there and there was somebody drinking uh, honey water. Now, I know honey water is supposed to be good for you, but the problem is if you drink it between the four akats, you're going to have taste of honey in your mouth. And then with the saliva and everything, that's going to go down your throat and that will break your prayer because you're taking a foreign substance in prayer. If you want to drink honey water, then drink some clear water afterwards so that the honey's all gone because honey's quite sticky, isn't it? So no, none of that stuff during the prayer. Water is fine. Just clear water is fine. That's neutral. That's fine. If the room gets too hot, you see, all of this matters. So, you, you know, learn what to wear so that you're not going to be unnecessarily bothered by your 
too much clothing, too less clothing, or the room being too hot, or a smell. Like put some nice perfume on, or something like that. All of these side things, don't let them bother you. So then sort them out in advance. Right, now just going back to how to carry yourself and that, there's just certain things people don't like in our masajid. Like if you do those things, they're going to complain like short beards. Like in our community, mashallah, they want everybody to be representing themselves in the best manner possible. So that's why uh, people cutting their beards and all that, they consider that to be, you know, uh, a major problem that they don't want to pray behind somebody they, can, they, they say they're fasic or, uh, and, and so on and so forth there's lots of discussion about it so I'm not going to get into but you want to what happens is so much fitna then occurs You're, uh, if that's the case uh, some people will start complaining the father of this individual is just very biased of you he's going to start arguing no my son is right for taraweeh but man he doesn't have a beard <laughs> it just gets into such a confusion so if you are going to do taraweeh make sure you have a you know, all of those things in terms of the clothing that you're wearing. Just avoid having people uh, point fingers at you. Short sleeves is another issue. To be honest, short sleeves, it, there's nothing wrong with praying with short sleeves. There's a problem with praying out with rolled up sleeves. That's the real mas'ala, is that you can't roll up your sleeves and pray. That's makruh. Short sleeves are not a problem according to that. However, traditionally, even among some ulama, they think it's makruh. So what you're going to have is you're going to have all of these guys at the back who don't know that and who are not willing to even accept it in some cases. They're just going to stop. And it just causes fitna in Ramadan. So there's no point. We don't live in a very, very hot country anyway. right? So just wear long sleeves. For example, I know this is just very simple stuff I'm talking about, but I just want us to avoid any kind of skirmish in Ramadan for no reason. If your masjid has women uh, praying as well, then you have to intend them. Well, that means that you need to know you're leading women, so that's in your intention. So, you know, when you start, like, I'm leading the prayer, right? Uh, two rakats of this sunnah prayer of taraweeh, and there are women behind. You need to know that there's women behind. You don't have to necessarily say anything with your tongue, but if you're totally oblivious, there's women there, then that might be an issue. That could be an issue, actually. So if your masjid does cater for women, and there's women praying behind you, or you're praying at home, and your mother... Uh, sister etc you need to intend them intention just means that you know when you're when you're leading that there are women praying behind you that's sufficient right to know that all right so those were the practical those were the practical things now let's uh, let's get into some more specific fiqh related mas'ala related stuff so we've already discussed the 8 and 12 uh, so 8 and 20 rakats and uh, I, I'm not going to discuss that more, but 20 rakats has been pretty much the ijma, which means the consensus of the four madhabs, majority of scholars, of ulama, imams, etc., throughout the centuries. In the last so many decades, we've had a push towards eight, and uh, in different places, right? So, as I said, this is not our purpose here of, of what we're talking about. If somebody is praying in a place where there's only 8 rakats and they can't change that, then you can go and do your 12 rakats afterwards uh, in short form if you need to, if you don't have much of the, uh, of the night, and you can do that afterwards. Okay, now, especially since 2 or 3 years COVID times, lots of questions about how young or how old you have to be to lead Tarawih prayer. So, mashallah, we've got many, many families who have hafiz who are 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and they're not balik, they're not mature yet, they're not adolescent, right? They're not adolescent yet. 
So can they lead prayers? So according to our, our sound, strong view in our madhab, uh, children can't lead tarawih prayers. Right? They can't lead anybody in prayer because they're not qualified yet to, in terms of their age to lead the prayers. You have to be balir, you have to be mature. Right? I, don't, I don't think I need to, unless somebody wants me to, and then to describe how to become mature. Right? Uh, but you, yes, so you need to be at least, so that means 14, 15 at least, right? And then you can lead the prayer. If there is a kid, 11, 12, at home anyway, he's done ta- yeah, he can do his own taraweeh. So there's nothing stopping him from doing his own taraweeh, or her for that matter. A young girl, or an older girl, she can do her own taraweeh at home, read the whole Quran, she just can't lead anybody. And a young kid can't lead anybody. But you can do your own taraweeh loudly. And if you've got a mother or somebody who's sitting there, they can even listen to you with a Quran open outside. They're not praying. And then they can just mark and tell you later. So that would be one way if they wanted to do so. Number three. This is very important. Let's just say you got late for taraweeh one day. Right? Getting out of the house or something. You had to clean up or I don't know. You, know, you had a stomach issue whatever. And you made it. And you do the first taraweeh, for example. You've not done Isha. Are you allowed to lead the taraweeh prayer if you've not done your Isha yet? You're not allowed to. Taraweeh can only start after you've done your Isha. Now the masjid's done Isha, imams done Isha, everybody else, but you haven't, you're not allowed to lead taraweeh because it's not your taraweeh. Taraweeh has to be started after Isha. Just remember that. Which means that you'd have to quickly go and do your four akats, then you can then you could miss your sunnah prayer. You shouldn't be, but you know, if you're if you're in a hurry, you do your four akats, then you can lead the prayer. So you can maybe tell somebody as you do two rakats only because you can't make the whole masjid wait sometimes. Let me just do my four and then I'll join in afterwards. But remember that Tarawi only starts after you've done your Isha prayer. Not after it's done in the masjid, after you've done yours, whether that was with the Imam or without the Imam. Okay? So Tarawi has to be prayed after Isha. However, what about now, let's just say that you caught 14 rakats or 16 rakats and you'd miss four. Can you do the witr? Can you lead or follow the witr even though you've not done all of your taraweeh? So in that case, you can. Because you can finish taraweeh after witr. Right? So you could have witr in between, preferable not to. But if you had witr and then you had four rakats left, you could do those afterwards. So there's no harm in doing it that way if you were forced to do it that way. So hopefully that's clear. You have to do your taraweeh after Isha, four rakats at least, but witr doesn't affect it that much. Does taraweeh have to be in a masjid? I guess COVID has told us it doesn't have to be. You can do it anywhere, right? Literally, you can do it anywhere. However, the greatest reward will be in the masjid because the masjid is where the congregation is, the more people and the place being the masjid, 25 to 27 times reward. Anywhere else is about 10 to 15 times, I think, the reward. Now, sometimes though, let's just say you're only getting four rakats in the masjid, and you would like to do 20 or 10 each, then you could do that at home or somewhere else, make your own little congregation. You might lose some reward of the masjid, but you get more reward of the fact that and it might be better for you in some cases that you can lead the whole taraweeh because it'll be good for you to do the whole thing because it's more preserving of the Quran for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Right? Then can, you, can there be two taraweeh prayers in a masjid? Simultaneously or one after the other? 
So, let's just say that your father is a committee member. And he's like, my son has to do taraweeh. But they've already confirmed five people and there's no space. So then he insists that you do taraweeh in another room with ten people. That's not really, uh, that, that's not really advisable to do that because you don't want multiple jamaats in one place taking place at the same time. Because that becomes like a bit of a competition and stuff like that. That's not right. Yeah, maybe in a madrasa for training, they've got people in different rooms all training for that and teacher goes around and checks them out. There, there could be some. But in a normal masjid, you want one tarawih. However, there are cases where we have, in some communities where we have restaurant workers who finish at odd hours in the, you know, like 11 o'clock or 10.30, 11 o'clock, and they miss the taraweeh. So something like that, where we've allowed two Jumu'ah prayers because the masjid can't, or there's just too many people, there's only one masjid, and there's not other places where they pray. In that case, they're allowed to have one taraweeh after the other. So you could have one jama'ah finish, the main one, and then they could do another one afterwards. Can you lead both taraweehs? Can anybody lead two taraweehs? You've done 20, and then you want to do another 20. Quite ambitious, mashallah. That would be quite adventurous. Can you do that? So no, you can't lead two taraweehs because once you've done your 20, that your sunnah is done. You can't repeat that. However, you could join in another taraweeh as a, as a muqtari, as a listener if you want to. Nothing wrong with that. Anybody can do 40 rakats of taraweeh, two taraweehs, three taraweehs, no problem, all night. But as leading, you, can only do, you should only do 20. And then after that, um, somebody else should lead the prayer. The reason why you can't lead a second taraweeh is because you know once you've done your 20, your taraweeh is done. So now when you're leading, you're leading nafil prayer, optional prayer. People behind you, they're doing taraweeh. Taraweeh is stronger and higher than a regular nafil prayer. Imam has to always be equal or higher. Here you're actually lower because you're doing nafil. People behind you are doing sunnah, higher level of prayer. That's why you can't do it if you've done it already. Okay, next question. Have you ever seen anybody breaking their wudu in taraweeh or in any prayer? The imam. Have you ever seen an imam breaking? You've seen it. Anybody else? You've hardly ever seen it. Imams never break their prayer. Sorry. Ima yeah, imams never break their wudu in prayer. They do actually. Right? I've, bro I've been an imam. I've broken it at least twice or thrice. Or actually it wasn't breaking. It was more that I forgot that I didn't have wudu somehow. So what do you do in that case? They're both different situations. If you didn't have wudu, you thought you did because you usually have it. And then this time somehow you got there or you found that there was a something sticky on your hand and the wudu did not, you know, the water did not get there, something like that or whatever it is, you have to be careful about that. Now don't feel embarrassed. Okay? And our communities need to stop bothering people about this, that, oh, they, they remember that for the rest of their life that this guy made such a mistake. This is really, really bad. People make mistakes. You shouldn't be scared and then just carry on the prayer. So let's just say that you didn't have wudu and you got to taraweeh and you led the taraweeh in the middle of taraweeh, remember. Just tell somebody, apologize, go and do wudu and come back. So if you didn't have wudu to start with, that salat has not even begun. So you were literally just making the motions while you were not really in prayer. Everybody thought they were in prayer. So that prayer is not accepted anyway. So you'd have to go and do it again. That's one thing. If you broke your wudu, now, that's, there's a special scenario and you should all learn about that because usually you have the other taraweeh uh, leaders behind, right? So if you break your wudu 
what you do is you literally turn around and grab uh, one of your friends or the imam or whoever it is and you drag them forward. They usually should take no more than two big steps. You don't want to take three steps, two big steps and then they carry on the prayer. Substitute. It's just a substitute. It's like you stop the car, put them in the driver's seat and you went to do wudu. Do you understand? That's what you do. If you break your wudu, don't like freak out and say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. They'll wonder like, why are you saying salam in the middle of salat for? Right? So don't say salam because you've broken your wudu anyway. You just turn around, grab the guy and put him forward. And you should know this, that if you're in prayer and the imam suddenly stops, turns around and grabs you, you're going to be wondering, if you don't know this muscle, you're going to be wondering, what is he doing? I've never seen this before because it hardly happens. I said, I've pulled people. Like, I've done it once or twice at least, but the guy knew what he was doing. That's why they should, Prophet ﷺ said, the people behind me, closest to me, should be the people of intelligence who know this stuff, so that if there's something that happens wrong, when Umar got stabbed in that Fajr prayer, that was going to be fatal, he, he stopped leading, and somebody, uh, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, or somebody else, they came and carried on the prayer. It was the same prayer. The people behind didn't even know, like further back, they didn't know. No, no microphone in those days. So remember that. But if you don't have wudu, the prayer has not begun, so you can't even start. You didn't even start. So you'll have to then let people know. And there you could probably just say salam. Because when you say salam, people think you've pr- ended your prayer. They're going to be wondering. Just make a very clear announcement or tell the imam sub to make the announcement. Just go and explain to the imam. The imam will make an announcement and you'll carry on. Now, um, we will leave it for the other section to discuss that if you did mess up a Turakats, but you've read already like four sides, uh, one surah or whatever in there, do you have to repeat it again? So we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that in, in the next section, inshallah. We move on to the next set of issues. This is re- related to reciting specific issues and challenges and complications and confusions regarding recitation. So some things I tell you is what we have to do. And other things are what you do if you make a mistake. Firstly, try to read Bismillah before every Surah Al-Fatiha. You know when you, in each rakat you read Surah Al-Fatiha first, try to read Bismillah. We do it silently as Hanafis, we do it silently, Shafis do it loudly. But even though you're Hanafi and you do it silently, uh, make sure you do it. Um, our Salat would be valid if you didn't do it. But mashallah, we live in multicultural societies. And if their Shafi is behind us, it means that we're missing a verse. Surah Al-Fatiha, according to Shafi'i school, starts from Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim is the first verse. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen is the second verse. That's why we don't want their salah to become incomplete because as representative Imam, we want to be inclusive of everyone. So there's no harm in us doing that, is there? So at least before the Fatiha, make sure you read Bismillah. You don't necessarily have to read Bismillah before you read the next uh, part of the surah, right? Uh, you can there as well, but it's not necessary, but you can. I'm not going to tell you how to do the prayer, because that is a separate topic. I'm just going to tell you the common issues related to taraweeh that could go wrong. So that's the first thing. Uh, number two, according to the Hanafi school, and I see the majority here are Hanafis, so according to the Hanafi school, while uh, Bismillah is not part of Surah Al-Fatiha, 
And we have one Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim mentioned in the Quran within the verses as a as a proper verse, which is in which juice? Nineteenth juice. Innahu min Sulaiman wa innahu Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Allah Ta'lu Alayya wa Muslimin. One of the shortest letters written in history. Sulaiman Islam's letter to Bilqis. That, that's part of the Quran that we're not talking about that one like if you missed that you wouldn't done the whole Quran however there's another Bismillah the Hanafis say that the Bismillah has been also revealed as a separator between surahs so that's why at least once in the whole Taraweeh Quran Khatam you have to read one Bismillah aloud somewhere and pretend you're a Shafi maybe right see how it feels to be a Shafi so it could be before Baqarah so as soon as you start, be, you know, say, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alif Lam Mim. You could do Bismillah there. So usually what the Hafizes do is they get together beforehand and they decide on a format of you're going to do up to here, you're going to do up to here, we're going to do up to here. You can also decide who's going to do the Bismillah when. It's easy just to start it off from Surah Al-Baqarah. Just do it once, it's done and dusted. Some people have exotic places. I want to do it before Qulhu Allahu Ahad. I want to do it before Yasin or whatever. Makes no difference. It just has to be done one place. Best to just start it off and just do it and you've done it. So at least then that means that by the time you do one Nas, you would have done the whole Quran, including the additional one Bismillah, right? Between any two surahs. You got that? It has to be done at least once between any two surahs. So some people just do it before Baqarah. How much should you read in, how much should you recite in every rak'at? Now that depends on when you're going to finish the Qur'an. If you're going to finish it on the 29th, why can't they finish on the 30th? Because it might not be 30 days, then you'll be left with one juz. That's why we usually, that's why nobody finishes on 30th, usually. There was one sheikh in the past, and he used to actually tell the imam for taraweeh, on the first day of Taraweeh, do two juz or one juz. If he said do two juz, it means that that Ramadan is probably going to be 29 days. And it used to turn out that it was 29 days. Sheikh Abdul Qadir Raipuri. And if he said just do one juz, it probably was going to be 30 days because then they have 30 days to do it. Right? I'm not saying that's magic or anything, right? but that was just, he, he had this ability to, to figure that out. We don't have that ability. So usually every place, they try to finish on 29th. But you could finish on 27th, you could finish on 25th, you could finish on the 28th, to be honest. But they prefer to finish on an odd night because that's usually Laylatul Qadr possibility. So one is you get the benefit of Laylatul Qadr, you also get the benefit of finishing the Qur'an. Because when you finish the Qur'an, inshallah, that's a great achievement. Du'as are accepted, so you should maximize. Do you understand the theory behind that? Now, in some places what they do is they finish the Qur'an and then they are really relaxed in the next days. Right? In fact, some people think that when you finish the Quran, you know, Tarawih is done. So that's why a lot of masjid change from 27 to 29th. Because when they used to finish on 27, the congregation used to become like half or something. Because I've done my Quran. You know, it's like maktab. Once you've done your Quran, you think you've done Bukhari. And you think you're finished now. And it's just, you've done the sunnah of the Quran, but Tarawih is still there. Right? And... Uh, so you can finish it on any day, but usually in masjids they do 27 or 29. Uh, 29 is probably better because you get to be more relaxed. If you do 27, then you have to do one and quarter, 
for more days, then you end up after the 20th, usually you do 111. It's whatever equation works for you, to be honest. Now, there is this idea. I remember once I was doing Taraweeh and I read, <clears throat> you know, when you finish the fourth juz, Hurrimat Alaikum Ummahatukum wa Banatukum, that verse. Well, Muhsanatu min nisa is the beginning of the fifth juz, right? They're actually connected. It's strange that there's a juz there, to be honest. The juz isn't from the time of the Prophet. You know, the supara is not from the time of the Prophet. The surahs are. The supara is the 30 division. That's a later development. It's fine, it's useful. However, in some places, it actually cuts between the theme. The story hasn't ended. The, the, the clause, the, the point hasn't been fully made. Well, muhsanat is actually part of that. So that's why I usually finish Hurrimat Alaikum to the end of the juz and then I read Wal Muhsanat, that one big verse as well. That's when it kind of, a decent place to stop. I remember one of the committee members, they came and they said, why did you do that? I said, well, because it's actually related to that, so it's appropriate. Said, so then I realized, he's saying, but there's people from other masjids who do the same format. They might have come here to read and now they're going to miss that one part. Because in the other masjid, they actually stopped at the end of the fourth juz. So they're, not, they're going to miss out all muhsanat. To be honest, what I thought is that that's their problem. All right? However, um, I think we need to educate people about this. Now, you're just, if you're just young, half is, you're not going to know this. But tell the imam, talk to the imam. And if you do read wal muhsanat together, I guess the next day you could probably just read from Hurrimat again. So that if somebody had missed it. You could be doing it on both days, so that way you're not breaking in half. And you're just reading. There's no, pro there's no problem reading something double, right, as well. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no problem with reading something double. And so that's one of the There's a few places like that. For example, in the beginning of... Which Jews is it that it literally stops at the end of the first verse of the next surah? Which Jews is that? Rubama yawadul alif lam. What is it? So in some cases, if the, on the previous day you just stopped at the surah and didn't read that, that would be fine. If you did read it, it'd be fine as well. And then the next day, just start again from the surah. So you don't have to start from rubama. You can actually start from the surah because there's one verse of the surah. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So whenever in doubt, do ask though. Because you might get confused again. So do, do ask about that. Now, because many of you have just memorized the Quran, don't know Arabic yet, so you don't understand. What you do want to be careful of is where you stop. In between the verses and at the end of verses. Because although there's a round end of verse sign, sometimes it'll have a, in some Qurans it'll have a la on it or something, which means don't stop here. Because the theme hasn't finished, the sentence hasn't actually completed. So, you don't want to stop in the middle of that. You go into Ruku and you come back and then you kind of like start from the middle of the story. Like literally in the middle of a sentence. So that's why those of you who know the meaning, you'll figure that out. And those who don't know the meaning, then you should go by those uh, stop and not stop signs more carefully. Because otherwise... For you, it makes no difference because you don't know what it means anyway, right? But people behind who know what it means, it's really, really agitating and awkward. And it's like, man, this guy knows, knows like, just messed my whole story up. 
and it's wrong. Tajweed, the meaning of tajweed is to read correctly and stop correctly. So you might have wonderful tajweed because you've been taught that, but because you don't know the meaning, and you're not even following the stoppings and the symbols, your stopping is messed up, and it's like I'm talking, and then suddenly... And then after a few minutes, I start from, he was gone, or was gone. I was like, what are you talking about in the next rakat? I didn't do that too well. Right? Do you understand? It's just really confusing. So that it, just because you don't know doesn't mean that you don't do it properly. As I said, if you follow those symbols properly, so go and look at the back of the Quran for what those symbols means and try to at least know where to stop and where not to stop. And where in doubt, ask somebody. You know that we have ruku. Now, the reason the rukus were made, from what I understand, is that if you were to do one ruku for every raka'at, you would finish the Qur'an in 27 days, on the 27th night. That's what I've been, I've never checked it, that's what people have told me, I've never bothered checking that. But that's what it was done. Again, ruku was not there in the time of the Prophet but they're very useful. And you know, you might be wondering, why aren't rukus equal in size? Why are some big, some small? Some similar, you know, like some are like half a page. Like in the 14th juice, it was like half a page. I was like wondering why. Because they're thematic. That's the, that cluster of verses is one theme, then it moves to another theme, next cluster. And that theme could have been long. So that's why the ruku will end. So ruku usually goes by theme. If you do end at a ruku, most of the time that will be correct. Because they do represent where the theme ends, that part of the story finishes. Then another, there's another discussion after that. Do you see what I'm saying? So that would be useful to do that. And where you're not stopping at a ruku, then you better know what you're, where you're stopping because that will be where you might mess up and confuse something. Now, the qira'ah that we read, unless you know the multiple qira'at and you, you are reading another qira'ah of warsh or duri or susi or something, right? I don't want to confuse you with the names, but the qira'ah we read is Imam Hafsi's qira'ah from Asim. Now there are three places in there which are different. They, they are like other qira'at and they're non-standard in our qira'at. Okay? Only three places from what I recall. Some of you will know some of them, but there'll be some that are probably, uh, you know, people will be confused. So the first one, does anybody know which ones I'm talking about? Go on. Okay, Bismillahi Majreha is the easiest one. That's the only place in the Quran where you're allowed to read what they would call majhul. Right, a e, in you know alif alif kasra e, not the old style of e, but that's a place where you actually supposed to do a e majreha. That's actually Bismillahi majraha. That's the real uh, in our style that should have been majraha. However, according to the imala sughra, the slight inclination, it should be majraha, and then according to the the higher form of inclination is majreha. To push the fatha towards the kasra. You can't read majriha because that becomes kasra or a ya. But it's majriha, it's cl closer to the ya. It's the only place you do that. Other qiraat, other readers from other modes of qiraat, they do that in multiple places. When, um, uh, for example, washamsi waduheha. We're not going to start doing all of that. Even if you have memorized it from a qari, unless you know the rules, you don't want to do that, right? 
um, the guys behind you probably jump on you like what are you doing anyway but you don't want to do that however the one place we do that is in Bismillahi Majah you, you all know that I'm assuming right? that's definitely taught that one's the easy one there's two others which are more complicated which ones are they? who knows? right so in Surah Yusuf there's La Ta'manna what verse is that in Surah Yusuf it's verse 11 the way we read it is La ta'manna ala Yusuf La ta'manna ala Yusuf That's the standard most people would read it However, it's incorrect The correct way of reading this Is that this is originally La ta'mannuna But they put it together So now there's two ways to read this How many of you know How, how many of you have been taught how to read this The various ways Put your hand up like up, proper up. Okay, there's only like three or four, five, like a minority of people know how to read that. There's two ways of reading. One way is a bit strange. Look, you'll have to watch the mouth to do this because there's no way to hear it. La ta'manna. La ta'manna. So you, it sounds the same, but the reader needs to round the mouth. Round the lips. La ta'manna. In between. It's like you're standing there. It's like la ta'manna. Sounds like um, you're stealing it. But why do you have to do that? Because others said originally it was la ta'mannuna. So what we're doing is when you say la ta'manna, to make it easy to read, we have made it la ta'manna. But we make our mouth round to display or to indicate that it was a dhamma here. That it was la ta'manuna. That's one way to do it. It's very easy actually. You can try it out. It's very easy to do. Right? Go and try it out. For yourselves. La ta'manna. La ta'manna. Don't change your tone. That's the first way to do it. So make sure you do that in tarawih. Otherwise you would have done wrong. Right? You missed something out. The second way to do it is that we bring it back to what it originally is supposed to be, but we only do one-third of a Dhamma. Have you ever practiced doing one-third of a Dhamma? Of a Pesh? So it's something like this. La ta'manuna, la ta'manuna. Not, you don't want to do full la ta'manuna. That would be full. Ta'manu. That's full. Ta'manuna. So it's just, you just touch the Dhamma, like one-third, they say. They've got fancy, posh names for this. I'm not going to bore you with that. But that, which one would be easier, the first one or the second style? The first one for most people would be easy, because getting that one-third right, you do need to do it through the shape to try to get it right. Okay? So the easiest way is, La ta'manna ala Yusuf. Right? La ta'manna ala Yusuf. So that's the simple way. Make sure you get this practiced. Right? And make sure you do that. If that's in your... Well, you should be doing it all the time, actually, when you read Qur'an. Not just in Taraweeh. That is part of your reading. That's how you should be teaching it as well. Okay, and the last one is in Surah Fussilat. Surah Fussilat, which is Surah number 41, verse 44. A'a'a jami'yun wa'arabi. Right? It's... Now there's a Hamza It looks like an Alif But let me uh, just 
inform you that anywhere in the Quran where it might look like an alif, those long lines, now listen to this carefully, if it has a fatha, dhamma, kasra, or sukoon on the alif, that is actually a hamza. We call it an alif, it looks like an alif, but it's actually a hamza. And what is an alif then? Alif is something that doesn't have any harakah on it. Like, qala, you know, when you makes you stretch the fatha. Qaf, alif, fatha, qa, maliki. Right? Sakha, that alif. Dal, that's an alif. As soon as you got a uh, or a, uh, or u, or e, that's a hamza. The secret of doing a hamza is that you have to do the sudden sound, the uh. In Urdu, they call it the jatka sound. Uh. If you start your namaz and you're like, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, you've missed your hamzas. There was no uh. Allah, Alhamdulillah. You don't have to do it that pronounced like al, you know, but you do have alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Say alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. A lot of people make this mistake. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Was that correct? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Was that correct? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. As. That hamza, without a hamza, you're. Sorry, without this uh, there is no Hamza. That's the secret of doing a Hamza. So, now in A'jami, uh, you've got two Hamzas. For Arabs, that's complicated. Can't have two Hamzas. A'jami, uh, I mean, we practiced it, so it's okay. A uh, is just a. Because there's an A'in after this as well. A'jami, Arabi. So what they do here is Tasheel. They, they simplify it. How do you simplify it? Now, this might sound a bit confusing. The first one you do as a Hamza, proper Hamza, uh, right, uh. Second one you do between a Hamza and an Alif. What does that even mean? Well, from my definition, you don't understand Hamza is that which has a uh sound. Alif doesn't have, it's just a stretch sound. It's like a smooth, you know, just stretch sound. So, if you're going to do somewhere between, it's called bain bain, half half. So you do half a alif, half a hamza. So it'd be like something like uh, it's like this look. Uh, uh, would be full hamzas. That's not the way we're supposed to be doing this. Uh, can you see that the second one has just been phased in? The first one proper? Uh, uh, can you see that? Again, you'll have to train under someone if you've not been taught this properly because a lot of people don't unfortunately teach this properly so get it sorted you have to get the ayn as well you can't do that in the second one you do it without that but you do it with a fatah right I'm not going to train everybody right now okay but go on try it once at least the secret is do the first one strong and the second one just kind of phase it in. Instead of Those are the three places. Bismillahim Majreha. La ta'manuna. La ta'manna. Right? Number two, Surah Yusuf. The first one is Surah Hud. Right? 
verse 41. And the last one is Ajamiyun, which is in Surah Fussilat, verse 44. What is that? What is what? what uh, that's the last page of Wijjus, 24, not 26, right? 24. That took like that. That that took the most time. Subhanallah. Now let's move on. Speed of Qira'ah. What should it be? It needs to be exactly 27.3 miles a minute. I'm just joking, right? It's like you know how do you how do you measure the tone? That that depends on you. If somebody, I I would say that it really depends on how you read. However moderate, al-qast, al-qast, tablughu, right? Keep it moderate, keep it moderate, and you reach. You'll take everybody with you. Just depends on how you read, and what people will be appreciating. You don't. You def the 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 fast. Uh, the, you definitely don't want to go too fast that you can't get the tajweed right and you mess up on rules. That would be totally incorrect, wrong, and sinful. However, you can definitely go fast enough. Depending on how the people are and length of the night and so on, we've had some tough years, you know, because of very small nights, short nights. So it just depends. It just really depends. But you want to keep it medium, and you can go as fast as your tajweed will allow you to do proper ruling. And you should go a bit slower than that to keep it medium. You don't want to go too slow. There's some people they really go too slow. If your tarawih is taking two hours. And your your usual tarawih in your area. I think a good tarawih, including Isha and Witr, should be one hour forty-five minutes. That's a sound tarawih. Any less than that is fast. One and a half probably acceptable. What do you think? Probably one and a half probably acceptable. Anything less than one and a half, there's probably some cutting corners unless there's some really special reader who can read really fast and be very clear. Okay, that's kind of my assessment. I may be wrong. But I say one hour forty-five minutes is a very decent tarawih. Anything more than that is probably long. Two hours is long. But some masjids, they, that's how they want it, and that's fine. That's what they want. But one between one and a half to one hour forty-five minutes is decent, including witr. Okay. Anything less than one and a half hours, one hour twenty minutes is a bit on the fast side. There's, there might be some issues there, and I don't want to make a judgment because again, there are some readers who can read fast and well. But not everybody can. Not everybody can do that. There's very few people who can read very fast, like sufficiently fast, but get it all right. Right. That's that's an art. Right. So um, that that's what you would you would probably look at. Don't get pressured by people. But if you are taking too long, then you do need to probably speed up because if you're just very slow, and people don't like it, you're just going to cause. Then find a masjid where it's slow. Don't insist on going to a masjid that's very slow. You know where you read very very slowly, like and I can't judge you, but I'm just saying if you understand that if you're reading very slow, and you're in a masjid where they're not going to enjoy it, you're just going to be stressed, and there's going to be people constantly talking about you. So what's the point of that? Find a masjid where they do slower, right? So go according to that. But if they want you to do faster than normal, faster than average, faster than in a wrong way, then then you know then you probably don't want to do it there, or you don't want you want to. Uh, do it to the best of your ability. So do try to work with people because people do have to go to work, etc. You know, uh, just keep that in mind. Now there are some ways of reading slower, and then uh, there are some discretions like mad <clears throat> munfasil, right? That you can actually do qasr. So 
in some of the muds, if you've not been taught this, then you'll have to go and learn it. And I don't want to teach it to you right now, but some of the mud munfasils can be shortened. Not mud muttasil, but mud munfasils can be shortened to a qasr, one alif level. We don't have to stretch it to three or four or five, right? So uh, if you do want to learn about that because you've got a challenge in your place, then go and learn about that, right? And then maybe that might help you. It might save a few minutes. You're not going to save that much, to be honest, right? But yeah, that's pretty much what's qira'a related. And again, if you have any other questions that I've not answered, then please um, ask the question later. Now, uh, continuing on from Kirar, but now to do with taking mistakes out. That's something that you really need to get right, because uh, it really uh, spoils the whole mood otherwise. Right? Number one, please have an agreed procedure for uh, sorting out mistakes. Correcting them and so on, and who will correct them? If you have trigger happy ten uncles at the back, you know, uh, matured, retired huffas who are just waiting for you to make a mistake and then just jumping all at once and like you know, what you need to do is speak to the imam and committee and say this is just too stressful. We need a procedure. This is what we did when I was an imam in one of the masjids. We said only you know these people are going to take mistakes. Imam first, then him, and then him. And if they miss it, okay, you can take it. Otherwise, we don't want people shouting from all over the masjid. The, the most difficult, you know what is the most difficult surah to do? Yasin. Because mashallah, everybody speaks up. <laughs> so, you know, when you preempt these things, when you have a format, when you organize, when you announce, it just makes life easier. And if there is still somebody who just insists, then somebody's going to have to take that person aside and say, look, you're not really helping the situation. You might not be able to do that because you're the, lead, you know, you're the imam, you're a young guy maybe. Get the imam or somebody else to do it nicely that, look, you're just causing them stress. You're just causing them a hassle. But if you don't organize it like that, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Now, between the huffaz, you can... La ilaha illallah. Uh, you, you could have your... A little system that he's going to take the mistake out first, then him. If they miss it, then the third person. And sometimes minor mistakes that don't change the meaning. This problem is that you don't know what the meaning is being changed or not. or Because there are certain critical mistakes where it will mess up the prayer. It will break the prayer in, in some cases if you don't correct it straight away, for example. So if there's major mistakes that are kufri mistakes, that so you're sending people of paradise to hell, which is talking about the disbelievers and saying that they people of paradise or and then you make them into that's a critical mistake and while some would say your salat is broken you actually have to repeat it right there are other views that if you correct it straight away then uh, in a tarawih prayer they let it go or minimum create it in the uh, correct it in the next rakat. But there are differing views, and if your imam or the scholars there follow the stricter view, then you'll just have to repeat the prayer. If you make such critical mistakes, most mistakes aren't that critical, but they could be. Sometimes minor mistakes, if they're both ulama, the people who are reading, they'll let it go, they'll just correct it later, they'll tell you in between four rakats and you can correct it later. You do want to eventually get a correct Quran being read. Okay? Eventually you do want that. You don't want to leave so many mistakes in the, in, in the way and you don't correct anything. If some, what about if you're a Hafiz class teacher and you're used to listening to people and then behind you say, no, oh, 
that would break your prayer. Or if you were the imam and you're reading and then, no, no, that's wrong. Right? Because that's what you usually do. Right? So try to avoid, say, if you said even, oh, no, your prayer would break. You as an imam, your prayer would break. If you're the muqtadi, his prayer would break. Whoever said it. If the imam's prayer breaks, everybody's breaks. That's the problem. If you're behind and you say that, your prayer breaks, not everybody else's. So be careful of that. I've had a case, I've done imam, imam, I've done taraweeh in America for multiple years and there were people behind me from another madhab who used to open the Quran and read. And for them it's okay as long as they do it without major movement and things like that. But it, it was posed a major challenge for me because in the Hanafi madhab, the strong view is that their prayer breaks if they were to read from outside, which means from a mushaf. That means if they corrected me from the Quran and I took it, my prayer breaks. So I've told them multiple times, but then sometimes it's just, again, some trigger-happy people who don't do sabr and they just take the mistake out. What do you do in that situation? Now what they usually say is that if you know, and again, inshallah, in many of the masajid here, you won't have that challenge, but one way to deal with that is that you listen to what they say and don't take it straight away. You then kind of repeat in your mind uh, from before and then you come to your own maybe because of that prompting but not directly you could justify it that way right you could maybe justify it that way and carry on that's one way to deal with that now remember if you do make a mistake you can correct it in another rakat somebody else can correct it You're the next reader can correct it it doesn't have to be the same person correcting it however do correct it there is there are some who have raised an objection that you know sometimes what happens is that if you made a mistake yesterday two small mistakes so what you do is next day some huffaz uh, at the beginning they read just those verses one verse from uh, you know one quarter and then from another, and then they start today's like what are you doing they, they wonder like why are you bringing these little verses and then you're reading today's Jews or something and they think that that's bid'ah or something however and I'm going to mention this because a lot of people don't know about this according to um, Majmu'ul Fatawa there's a whole discussion on this there he says that قَدْ كَانُوا بِمَكَّةَ يُوَكِّلُونَ رَجُلًا يَكْتُبُ مَا تَرَكَ الْإِمَامُ مِنَ الْحُرُوفِ وَغَيْرِهَا فَإِذَا كَانَ لَيْلَةَ الْخَطْمَةَ أَعَادَهُ That in Mecca, meaning somebody should correct what they've made as a mistake, like a little verse and the mistake in there, because in Mecca they had actually appointed a guy to sit on the side and or not necessarily sit but after every, he's a hafid, if he couldn't take the mistake, the mistake wasn't taken out, he would actually write down the mistakes. And then on the night of the 27, 29, whenever they finish in the Quran, they would actually go through all of them first. You don't want to do that. That would be a lot to go through, most likely. Right? And then you only make one mistake. So try to do it by the next day or the next rakats. So that's there. And also, um, from the Hanbalis, it says that, قَالَ الْأَصْحَابِ كَأَبِي مُحَمَّدِ Abu Muhammad, he says, وَإِنَّمَا اسْتَحَبَّ ذَلِكَ لِتَتِمَّ الْخَتْمَةِ وَيَكْمُلُ الثَّوَابِ This is mustahab to repeat and finish off those small verses just so the khatam, meaning the completion of the Qur'an can be finished and the reward be fully received. فَقَدْ جَعَلَ أَهْلُ مَكَّةِ وَأَحْمَدِ وَأَصْحَابُهُ إِعَادَةَ الْمَنْسِيِّ مِنَ الْآيَاتِ وَحْدَهُ يُكْمِلُ الْخَتْمَةِ وَالثَّوَابَ وَإِن كَانَ قَدْ أَخَلَّ that they, uh, the people of Mecca, Imam Ahmed and his uh, colleagues and his students, 
They said that you should repeat the forgotten parts separately to complete the Quran and the Khatam, even though it does spoil and disrupt the, the arrangement. Right? Because next day you're reading something else and you're just taking a verse from the beginning of yesterday's juice, for example. It does do that a bit, but that's fine. And he says that this is what we've this is what has been transmitted from Ali radiallahu anhu. He once forgot a, a, a verse, missed a verse from one surah. In the middle of his qira'ah, in the middle of his reading, he repeated it. And then he went back to repeating, what, uh, to reading where he was originally. Mostly people won't know because they're not hafiz, they don't know what's going on. Right? But he said, you should, you should do that. Now, so hopefully that's clear now about that discussion. Uh, the last point in this discussion is if you're praying at home, you're leading at home, and it's just, uh, you know, there's women folk and they're hafiz, your mother's hafiz, your sister's hafiz of the Quran, then can they correct you? So, yes, they can correct you. If there's nobody strange there, like everybody's just uh, immediate family, right, mahrams, then they can actually correct you loudly. If there are somebody else and there's a woman who figures it out, she just has to clap. She's not allowed to correct in front of strange men. Right? So she kind of claps to show that there's been a mistake. And of course she can tell afterwards as well. But if you're praying with your family, then your mother, your sister, uh, daughter can correct you. Okay, so that's our qira'ah, your reading stuff done. The last, uh, uh, it's not the last section, but the next section is 14 points of mistakes of the actual prayer now. And said the tusahu. Okay, so let's go through this quickly. You should know a lot of this. Are you allowed to recite Quran in sujood or in tashahud when you're sitting down just to prepare for the next? You're not allowed, right? It's not allowed. In fact, if you do in tashahud, you start reading um, the next, you know, and you essentially forgot the tashahud that you didn't read tahiyatulillah, you'll have to do a sadr sahu. Alright? If you read just a bit, just a bit in any of them you've not really delayed too much then you'd be okay but you don't want to do that it's still makru to do that okay. so you shouldn't be reading quran in anywhere other than the standing posture okay what happens if you if the imam in his second rakat his second rakat but he stood up into a third rakat tarawih is two 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 so what do you do in that case well of course i would doubt that most of the time people do catch you out because there's somebody concentrating. But in the case where nobody's concentrating, you do three rakats. Now, there is a, 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 listen carefully here. As soon as you find out that this is the third rakat, then go and sit down. Straight away, just sit down. Allahu Akbar, sit down. Right? And then do sadda to sahu and finish the prayer. Why do you do sadda to Because you've delayed the sitting by standing up. Okay? That's simple. If you didn't remember and you did ruku, then you remembered, you can still sit back down. You still got a chance to sit back down. You stood up from ruku, you can still sit back down if you remember now. You did a sajda. As soon as you've done a sajda, now you can't sit back down. Because now that is the next rak'ah. Done. You, you've done a third rak'ah now. In this case, now do a fourth rak'ah because there's no three sunnah rak'ah prayer. So there's no point finishing on three. Do it four. Just carry on reading, do four. That'll be four akats, right? 
You don't have to repeat that or anything. Yeah. In that case, you've done four rakats of taraweeh together. You don't want to do this on purpose, okay? It's against the, it's against the normal uh, recommendation and the, you know. However, sometimes they let women, they allow women to do this at home. So that's the way you could save it. You can't do a three rakat sunnah prayer. Only maghrib and witr are three. There's no sunnah that is three or one rakat. So you do four. Okay? The next option is, sorry, this, the, so that's clear, right? But you have to do sadr sahwa at the end. The next option is that you sat down after one rakat. Happens a lot of the time because you're really confused. You're doing so many rakats, you think it's, you know. Um, usually it happens if you've made a mistake in how much you've read and you've gone to the next one and you're so trained to do ruku at this point or something like that. You sat down in first rakat. Yeah, and then you, somebody said, subhanallah. Or you remembered. Now, it depends on how far you remember. If you remembered within the time it takes to say Subhanallah, Subhanallah three times, then you could just get back up and carry on as normal and finish as normal, no problem. That much delay is tolerated less than that. But if you sat for Subhanallah, 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 now you've delayed the standing. So you would still stand, but then you have to do Saddha to Sahwa at the end because you've delayed. Okay? That, so I think that's done. Now, what happens if you broke a prayer or the prayer broke because you made a major mistake and didn't change it? So you have to repeat that. Or you did three rakats and stopped. Or you did one rakat and done salam as well, mashallah. That means whatever you read in that one rakat, is that counted? Because at the end, you have to finish the whole Quran of in the taraweeh as well. So is that one rakat kirat counted or not? Or you did three rakats, does that reading count? There's two views about it. Some say it's okay because everybody's heard it. They've, done a, they've heard a reading. However, it's not been in taraweeh. Because those rakats were spoiled. So best to always do it again. Because that's the better view. That's the more sounder view. That you just have to do it again. It's going to take another five, seven minutes of taraweeh for that day. You might listen to a few things, but um, it happens. Right? It happens once or twice in Ramadan. It's okay. Right? And uh, it's sunnah to finish one khatam. That's why. It's sunnah to finish one khatam in taraweeh. That's, we learned that from Umar radiallahu anhu. In some places what they do is to try to save time, they do that and then they do some in witr as well. Right? And some in isha as well. It's not the best way to do it. Right? But it's better than nothing. But it's not the way to do it. That's not the way we do it. And... Uh, if you missed Durud Sharif, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Muhammad, it won't spoil the prayer, but it will be deficient, right? You don't want to, you don't want to miss those on purpose, like at-tahiyyat, ash-shadu al-layla, and then islamu You don't want to do that. Right? You need to do those. And where to do sadr al-sahwa? There's multiple places to do sadr al-sahwa. I'm not going to go through all of that. It's essentially where you do sadr al-sahwa is if you miss, if you delay a fard of the prayer. Or you delay a wajib of the prayer, or you miss a wajib of the prayer. Those three are the places where you do sadr al Now I can't go through that list right now, but you can find that in these in these books in Ta'limul Haq. So do go through those so that you know whether you have to do sadr al or not. You know when you're supposed to do two rakats and you stood up into the third by mistake, because you've stood up fully, that means you've stood up, you've delayed. So that means you'd have to do sadr al even if you sit back down. If you stood up half. In a way that you're closer to sitting and your back is not fully straight, 
right? Or it's still kind of bowing, and you just stood up a bit, you can sit down, no problem. But if you kind of are more closer to standing, it's like you've stood up. If you started Fatiha silently, you thought it was, I don't know, some other namaz. And you If it's less than three verses, you're fine. You can just start being loud. But if it's more than three verses, you have to do Sadr Right? Likewise, if you had started and then you were so nervous about your hijj, you forgot Fatiha and you just jumped into the next Quran reading and you read, you'd have to do, you can do Sadr You can go back, read Fatiha and then read that. You have to do Sadr if it's uh, three verses there, right? In that one as well. Meaning three short verses, otherwise one long verse. It's massive three verses, you can't wait for that. It's just the, that much. And you know if you made a mistake, or you're confused, and you stay silent. Now remember this. If you stay silent, nobody's saying anything, and you stay silent for three, subhanallah, you'd have to do Saddar al-Sahur because in standing, you can't be silent for more than that. For less than that, it's okay. So what should you do? If you do get confused and you just repeat something under your breath, read something under your breath, that would just it. Even if you're not reading aloud, read something under your breath so that it, you're not pausing fully for three subhanallahs. All right? And uh, let's just finish this point off. Should you announce Saddatul Tilawah that in the first or the second rakat we're going to do a Sajdatul Tilawah? Should you announce it or not? Who says yes? Who says no? It just depends on your masjid. I wouldn't get people used to doing that. In the masjids I've read, or we've read, we just do it. They should know that you do Saddatul Just do your, you know what? Usually for ruku you say, Allahu Akbar. If you are going to go in Sajda, you know, the sajda to tilawah, just say, Allahu Akbar. So that people know that this is a special sajda and you're not going into ruku. Alright? So, it's up to you. You can announce it if you want. That's fine, if that's what you do. But then one day you forget, there's going to be confusion. So, I just get them used to not doing it. But that's up to you. Sajda to tilawah needs to be done within about three verses. So if you've read the Sadda Tilawa verse and finished it, up to where it says the Sadda, and then you read another verse, you still have an opportunity to go in and do a special Sajda for it, up to about three or four verses. Uh, I'm not going to go into full detail of that right now, but what I want to mention is that some of you may know that if instead of a special Sajda, you just did the Ruku, of the Salat, then that would be acceptable. And if not that, then when you're going to Sajda of the Salat itself, and you didn't do a special Sajda for the Sajda verse you read, then that would be still be done. However, I would advise that you don't do that, because there's more reward of doing a special Sajda. Also, everybody doesn't know that it will get done by the Sajda of the prayer, and you have just learned it, in your first year of the alim course or something and you go and you try that in your masjid and everybody will then jump on you it just causes a huge confusion however it's superior to do a special sajda because you're doing an extra sajda so that has to be superior also just to clarify that when you go into ruku and you want to do that as part of the ruku if you're praying alone that's fine because your intention is to do a sajda there it'd be fine for you but if you as the imam are intending your sajda to tilawah 
to be completed by your ruku. All of your followers have to have the same intention. And they're not going to have that intention. They're going to be confused, to be honest. So then it won't be done for them. So that's why never do it in ruku. Just do a special one. I know sometimes it's a bit awkward. You do so, you come back and you say, يَسَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْأَنْفَالِ قُلِ الْأَنْفَالُ اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ And you read a few verses and you go back down. But that's still probably the better way to do it. You know, we have a little rest after every four rakats. What do you read in that? So in many masjids, they have the tasbih of taraweeh. Subhana dhil mulki wal malakut, subhana dhil izzati wal azamati wal kibriya wal jabarut. But technically, there's nothing wrong with reading that, but that's not the sunnah dua to read. You can literally read anything during that time. Any tasbih, any dua. In Makkah, they used to actually do tawaf. In Medina, Manawara, they would do another four rakats, or two or four rakats. That's why their taraweeh came out to be 36 rakats sometimes, because they have long, we don't have that kind of long um, pause anyway. So you can read anything. You can do a dua in that time, or whatever you want to read. <coughs> Also, if you do see, and it's not your job necessarily, but a lot of the masjids that have this subhanahu dil mulki wal malaku, they have a major mistake in there. That you have to check that you're not doing. Subhanahu dil izzati wal azamati. Azamati, which means the possessor of grandeur and majesty and might. They usually have it written as azmati, with a sukun. Azma, azmatun means a bone. So the one of bones. It's a major mistake. Lots of places have they've got they've got the traditional setup, right? So that needs to be corrected. But again, that you can leave that to the Imam. Otherwise, you can read anything during that time. Right. Let's go on to the witr now. That's the next section. Is about the witr. Okay. Now, the Hanafi position on the witr is that it needs to be three rakats done all together with one salam, and a tashahud in between. Okay. That's the standard. So. If you're in a masjid where they want you to do two and one, are you allowed to do that? As a Hanafi, you can't. What I would do in that case, I'll say, okay, let's have a Shafi Imam to do two and one, and I'll just do mine separately. So try to find a way to accommodate. But as a Hanafi, you can't do two and one. Yes, there's some ulama who've allowed that to be done in Saudi, in, in the Haram, where they say, okay, fine, pray behind the Imam. There's various views there, but that's as far as it goes usually. Okay, another challenge that could come about is that we do dua ul qunut in our witr. And in taraweeh time, in Ramadan, it's sunnah and it's recommended to do witr in jama'ah, not outside of Ramadan. That's why we do it in, in Ramadan. Now, I've been in a congregation before that they wanted a loud dua. And in our madhab, it's superior to do a silent dua. Allahumma inna nasta'inuka. You know, you raise your hand, Allahu Akbar. And then you do, you do the, the dua ul-qunut. And then after that, we do ruku and sajda, right? So can you do, you know, um, you, we, we usually say that our position is the stronger position that it, the dua needs to be done silently. Okay? Now, I was in, on one occasion uh, in, in our masjid, they actually wanted it differently. So I said, let have somebody else lead it and they can do it like they can do three together but they can do a loud dua because they're allowed to do that so usually that's what we do and then there's some other um, options as well that we came up with at the time but you know another thing that happens in Isha the Imam does a slow kira'ah in Taraweeh they do fast kira'ah 
come back to witr, it's like everybody's got time now, so they do slow qira'ah again. I just don't understand that. They rush you in taraweeh. When it comes to witr, it just kind of slows it down again. I don't understand why. Is there a reason for that? So, I mean, I'm not saying do it fast. I'm not saying do it fast, but I'm saying that if you are in a hurry, in the sense that there's shorter nights, Alhamdulillah, the nights are getting longer anyway, then I don't see any special reason to do witr slower than the taraweeh. Meaning, if you were doing the taraweeh as well as the witr, you can do the witr in the same speed as your taraweeh. The whole thing should be decent and moderate anyway, witr and taraweeh. But there's no special sunnah to make the witr slower than the taraweeh. Do you understand? That I don't understand. Another thing that you should try to do is to announce that it's witr prayer. Because usually, after taraweeh, in many masajid, they have dua. So the last reader of taraweeh, they do a dua. Now that dua is not necessarily established from the early days that they had a dua there. However, it's an occasion to do, you know, that people want to use it, so that's why the imam does dua. But it's not necessary. In my masjid, in where we used to, we, I used to do du'a after the witr. Right? So it's not necessary, but there's nothing, no harm in doing du'a there. So what happens usually is that when people get up, they might think it's taraweeh again. So that's why it's a good idea sometimes to announce salatul witri, salatul witri, yarhamukumullah. The salat of witr, may Allah have mercy on you. It's just helpful so that people don't make the wrong intention and they realize you're in witr afterwards and they think you're in, you know, they think they're in taraweeh in the beginning. Now finishing taraweeh. We've already discussed, this is the next section, finishing taraweeh. We've already discussed what day to finish it on. It doesn't really, it's not necessary to finish on certain days. It's up to you, whatever's convenient, however much you want to read, and so on and so forth. However, a question does arise is that after you finish your Qur'an, on the 27th, 29th, and there's a 30th day maybe, or there's days left, would you read in that? Is it fard to read Alantarakaifa to the end? No. That's just easy. That's why people do it. It's just easy. That's why people do it. Otherwise, you could read from anywhere. You could take Surah Al-Rahman, break that up, uh, you know, split that up, read that Surah Al-Waqiyah. You could read anything. You can start another Quran for next year. Say, we'll just start another Quran for next year. I'm just joking. Don't do that. Right? But you can read whatever you want, just so that you know. Right? Again, just don't People expect it to be a bit slow. I mean, I've been in communities where you get the most people in the last few days. Because they're like, Ramadan's ending, we need to value it. But the tradition in other places that I see locally is that they've done Quran now, it's just holiday now. So it's just whatever we're reading now is bonus, so keep it as short as possible. But you don't need to do that. Are you allowed to take money for Taraweeh? Are you allowed to take a gift for Taraweeh to do Taraweeh? I see some head shaking that of course that's what we do it for <laughs> there's a massive difference of opinion the traditional opinion in many of the fatawa books from the Indian subcontinent was that it's not allowed so I used to go around the world but I never you know I, I didn't take money for taraweeh I was like very strict about it even though they were insisting so if you are in a place where you're doing taraweeh plus you have to do other prayers or you have to give lectures or so on then technically you could tell them, look, if you're going to pay me, then pay me for this stuff. I don't want to take for tarawih. Why can you not take? Why do those ulama say you can't take tarawih? I'm not going to go into a full-fledged discussion here. They say because tarawih, to read full Quran is not necessary in tarawih. 
And in the Hanafi school, it was originally not even permitted to take payments for uh, leading the prayer, for teaching children. These are all worships. Why should you charge for that? But then they realized that if we're not going to pay, then people have to earn a living. There's no longer uh, people who look after such imams and teachers. So that's why they said it's okay to take. But according to need. Now, Tarawih, they're saying that if somebody wants to come and lead Tarawih, great. But otherwise, we'll just read without the full Quran. So it's not an obligation, they say. That's their kind of understanding. The other group, which I think has a sound view as well, is that <clears throat> absolutely fine to take to receive a payment for it. Of course, you should not be doing it for that purpose. But if somebody wants to give you, then it's okay. However, even those who say it's not permissible, then that would be like if it was under contract. That I'm going to do tarawih and I'm going to charge you a thousand pounds or two hundred pounds or whatever it is, right? If an individual came and gave you money or a few individuals without anybody telling them they put some money together and came and give you you can accept that that nobody would say any, that even those who say it's not allowed to take money with Rawi, they'd be fine with that because that's just not done uh, what they would not be fine with the first group is where they make an announcement we're going to collect for the Hufas and it just looks really weird to be honest like Alhamdulillah I've never had that done to me but I've talked to people where you're sitting there and they're literally collecting money for you as though you're some faqir Right? That sounds, that sounds like really weird. Right? If they were to just pay you like that without doing that, then that would probably be more sound according to the second view as well. Right? So I hope, uh, I don't want to uh, talk more about that, but I, I hope that clarifies. Okay, that's our, uh, that's, that's done for what I, what I had prepared. And uh, it's possible that some issues I covered quickly. I may have rushed some issues. I may have not thoroughly discussed all issues because I can't have all issues in my mind. So now what we'll do is we will move on to your questions. So I've got questions online and I've got questions uh, from our brothers here. So let's take your questions or clarifications on any of the issues. Go ahead. So if in Salat you eat anything or ingest anything that is more than the size of like half a pea or something like that, like if there was something stuck in your teeth and it was just like, like, uh, for example, if it was this big, that would break your prayer. If it was like a very small portion, maybe like that much, I don't know if you can see that, that probably wouldn't. If it was stuck in your teeth and it came out and dislodged and uh, you, you ate it, then it wouldn't break your prayer. Likewise, if you had bubble gum and it still had flavor in there and then that mixed with your saliva and went down, it's a foreign substance going down. That will break your prayer. If the chewing gum, you don't want to do this, but if the chewing gum was totally like you were really like finished it off, there was no flavor in there at all, and you left it in your mouth, there was no flavor. Still be makru to have kept it in your mouth, but it won't break because no flavor going down. So with honey, if there's enough in you, you just drank it, then you're Allahu Akbar. And then and there's honey going down your throat from the rest of your mouth. That would be a problem. Right. One good suggestion is that for those of you who are in school or work, you've got your lunch breaks, which you can't have lunch in. So rather than doing anything else, it's a good time to actually catch up on your reading and you could probably do a lot during that time. Do you need to make a verbal intention when you are leading women? No. It can, uh, no in fact, no intention is verbal. Intention is to do with the mind. So even your intention to leading prayer, you, you, know, you, be, you don't have to have an intention. 
in the sense that you don't have to verbalize anything, but you do have to have an intention that you're doing two rakats of this prayer, of two rakats of taraweeh prayer. But all of that doesn't have to be verbalized. You just, it's in your mind and that's enough as long as you're conscious of what you're doing. You're not automatic pilot when you just, and you don't know what you're doing. Most people don't do that anyway. But yeah, you don't have to verbalize any intention, by the way. Okay, so if you break your wudu in your ruku, in your sajda, wherever you forget, wherever you do it, just say some. Just you'll have to basically tap the person behind you. So if they're in ruku, you just basically kind of hold the person by the shoulder or arm and just bring him forward. And as they say. This is something that should be known. So if somebody does that to you, you will go forward and just carry on. So the guy will move forward, say, Sami Allahu liman hamida and carry on. In sajda, he'd obviously have to make a movement because he's in sajda and you'll have to kind of, he won't be able to crawl forward or something. So there, there'll be some movement in there. What happens if you ended up doing just one sujood? If you ended up just doing one sujood, that means there's two sujood are fard, right? In every rak'at. And you only done one, that means you've missed the fard. If you didn't make it up, your, your, your salat will be invalid because you've missed the fard. So what you do is you do an extra sajda. In the next rakat, like if you stand up and you realize I've... If you've stood up for the second rakat and you've realized I've only done one sujood for the first rakat. So when you go back down for the second rakat, you just do an extra sajda there, third sajda. If it was after the third, uh, second, if it was... Uh, you've done... In, you missed it in your second rakat and now you're sitting down. Then just do a sajda. Just say Allahu Akbar and go into sajda. And then come back and do the sadr, uh, read and then do tashah, uh, sadr sahu again. Okay, any other questions? Yes? Kissing your teeth. How do you kiss your teeth? Oh, you mean, what do you call that? Is that kissing your teeth? Huh? Yeah, does that break? If it makes a sound, it will break. If it's done like... If you, if you did it that way, that's a sound. That's definitely a sound, isn't it? It's two huruf. That's two letters. That, that's like two letters. So that probably would break it. It means saying that behind somebody. You're the imam. Ah, like an exas exasperated. Yeah, that would probably break it. What is the best way to review daily throughout the year for a hafiz and how much? At least one juz. The optimal is that if you can do three juz a day, absolute, you'll never have a problem. Otherwise, at least one juz, preferably by reading to someone. Because then you even get corrected. If not that, then throughout your sunnas and nafal prayers of the day, that's easy to do and maintain it. But you have to start straight after Ramadan. If you wait and take a big holiday, then it gets rusty and then it gets more difficult. If not in your prayer, then just do it like that. Just read one juz. Try to build it into a routine like if you're traveling on the tube, you're traveling uh, by car or sometime like that. Otherwise, if you can actually sit and do it first thing before Fajr, after Fajr, that would be the best thing. What should be done if the mic system crashes and the portion of the congregation loses contact with the Imam? They can complete their prayer. For you, you just do whatever you can. There's nothing you can do, but it's for the people behind. They just can complete their prayer. And as long as they're not, go, they're not going to do anything before the imam, it's fine. They'll just do it later. So they just slow it down and they'll just finish off. But that's why masjid should always have a backup mic. You should never rely on one mic. You should always have a, because this is everything for us, especially in Friday. Will your stomach rumbling break your salat? 
Um, yeah, no, that stomach rumbling does not break your salat. However, if you're letting off wind, it will. I want to mention that sometimes people have a rumbling in the, in the intestine. And I've talked to a doctor about this. And they said that if it's internal and there's nothing coming out and it's an internal kind of... Because there's a constant movement there and there's movements of gases internally just moving from one place to another, that won't break the, uh, the, 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 the wudu. But if there's any exit of it, then, then it will break. They usually say by an exiting sound or smell. Yes. Ibn Abidin and others mentioned the utility of shorter recitations in Tarawih. Is this the dominant Hanafi opinion? That's not necessarily the dominant Hanafi opinion. However, when there are shorter days, then some masjids can have that for making life easy, right? For people who can't do the full one. However, if they're all doing that and there's no Quran, then that means you're going to be missing a big sunnah. So you don't want to miss it completely, right? And where you can, we insist on that. I've seen cases in many places, like I went to another country and I was... Uh, told to actually do my taraweeh in a very particular mosque. I went to that masjid about 15 minutes before taraweeh. For about 15-20 minutes before taraweeh, they were sitting there doing dhikr. Right, certain athkar that they had and they were all doing it. Then they did taraweeh from wadduha till the end. In between the four four rakats, they did athkar. They finished taraweeh and then they did another set of athkar. And I was just surprised that Ramadan is the month of the Qur'an. Why didn't they just do a Qur'an khatam? I'm not against dhikr. We love dhikr. But the Qur'an is everything in Ramadan. The, our mashayikh, they, they used to decrease other things to read more Qur'an. Other optional worships. So as far as possible, you want to you complete a Qur'an khatam. Right? That has been our tradition. Yes, there's leeways in some cases for certain people who can't pray and or don't have much time and there's a night is short yes that that's a, 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 could be accommodated but the dominant is that you should do it for the point made earlier about how large the impurity would have to be to invalidate your salah is this for when the impurity has been discharged during salah no discharging impurity in salat will break your wudu discharging impurity breaks your wudu this is if there was some remnant left of it on underwear or something, then up to that much is tolerable, right? The four centimeter diameter or something. But no, if you are discharging in salat, your wudu will be broken. What if the masjid you are leading starts Ramadan a day before you? Well, if you chose that masjid, you can just go with the taraweeh, right? You're not going to do any less, right? You're just... Uh, that part you can just read again sometime. If you think that it wasn't done in Ramadan, you can just read it again. That does create other confusions But at the end of the day for you That might have been done before Ramadan You just do that part again in Ramadan for yourself What is the ruling on rolling up sleeves mid-arm? Um, you should not roll up sleeves Just wear something with shorter sleeves If you can't, if you've got like some uh, Itching or some issue But you don't want to roll up sleeves That's makru to do so in prayer um, I think that's all the questions that we have online Any more questions here? If somebody's saving the beard or shaving, it's makru. Because they say that, I mean, the way that the understanding is that if you shave your beard openly, it means that you've done an open sin, right? Especially in the Hanafi school. So that means you, we don't, anybody who does open sin, 
should not be leading the prayer. It's makru. Salat taraweeh will be fine, uh, will be valid though, right? Even Juma will be valid behind a sinner as well, right? An open sinner as well, but it's makru to make such a person the imam. That's the complication. And one more is to, to hold the wind. In the to hold the wind. The, 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 the ulama write that if you hold wind or you hold going to the toilet and you're struggling, it's makru. It's usually makru to do that. If it's easy and you can hold, then that should be okay. But if it's, you shouldn't because it's distracting. So there's one sajda which is at the end of Suratul Suratul Hajj, end of the 17th Jews, which is not a Hanafi uh, place for sajda. However, it's good that if you can read that verse and then go into ruku and sajda of the salat. So you kind of time it so that you can do a ruku and sajda. That will then be done in the sajda at least. We can't do a special sajda for that because it's not a Hanafi uh, one. It's a Shafi'i, uh, uh, it's, a, it's according to the Shafi'is. So that's why you'll do that. So you don't want to do sajda with tilawah in ruku at all anyway because there's just confusion in that. Anyway, Alhamdulillah, we are done. May Allah bless all of your tarawees, all of our tarawees, inshaAllah, and allow this sunnah to continue. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it. Was there anything else, miss? Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah khair, Allah ta'ala bless it. Allah ta'ala bless us and illuminates us with the Quran and raise us with the Quran and bless us with the Quran. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially for example the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.